Our passage today comes from Romans 7, verses 18 to 24. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Word of the Lord. You guys can grab your seats this morning. Anybody ever felt like that? No? I'm the only one? Man, honestly, I never thought food was a thing. Um, and not to out my wife, she's wonderful, but man, she is a food E. Uh, we're, we're heading to uh, another country. We're going to be heading to um, Southeast Asia. I think that's as specific as I can get uh, in this context. And um, she's been there a number of times with the work that she does, um, working with um, folks who have been taken out of uh, compromised positions to, to save them as children, and so I'm excited to go there. Um, however, and I'm nervous, right? So I've been like, just like all thinking like, what do, what do I need? I'm searching on Amazon. Uh, men's uh, accessories for airplane rides. Okay, there's a lot that comes up, and, uh, and I bought some of those things. Um, and so I'm an, I'm an over planner. I like to know what's going to happen, where, you know, but it's never about food. I'm, I'm fine, okay? My wife is already thinking about where she wants to go and what she's going to order because she's got these favorite little pockets of like ethnic food that she's visited time and time again. And I'm just like, yeah, that's, that sounds good. I'm glad you're on it. Uh, she orders for me in restaurants. Um, and so I, honestly, like fasting for me, uh, I, I never thought was like a real issue. Um, it's something I've practiced, but it's honestly, this last week, my flesh has never been more like eager and alive and my eyes have not been more alert to the things that I am trying to not have than ever before. I'm like, why am I teaching on this this week? And why is it so hard? And so I'm just coming going like, yeah, me and Paul, like Romans 7, why do I do what I do not want to do? And why is it the things that I do? I just, I keep on doing the things I don't want to do. And so just this wrestling of going like, okay, my, my flesh, which is not physically your body, it's your disordered desires, as Augustine says. It is the things that, that have been put into us. You're longing for, yes, your food to be filled, for you to have affection, for you to have a place of belonging. All of these things are part of your flesh, and many of them are very good. In fact, if you were following even some of the evolutionary science, some of the very key features of the flesh are what drives you to continue to proliferate throughout human history. So, all the way through that, is the idea that we have a very real carnal reality that God is in trying, is, is intending to actually move beyond the animal instinct enslavement, okay? 
And so many of us, as we're walking through uh, a desire to be transformed, made new, step into a world beyond the flesh where we're aware that there is eternity, we're aware that there is a God with good intention towards us, and that he's actually invited us into that good intention. And that, in fact, Jesus himself was the embodiment of God's good intention for us humanity on display. And so for us, we're going, okay, we believe that if we practice the things that Jesus did, not only are we going to be able to benefit from his death on the cross, which secures our eternity, but it actually opens the door for eternal life to function and impact my day today. And the ways that he interacted with others and with the Father are actually models for us to live truly human lives and not merely beastly lives. And so we come against this very real tension of our flesh versus the spirit. The bit of us that's been renewed, the spirit, the, the part of our being where God has come to preside within us that has been renewed to new life and it begins to tra- change us from the inside out. But the flesh still exists. The flesh still exists and is very real. And so what do we do in the midst of this world? I would say that our uh, challenge in this day and age, and even more so in our particular economic situation, where um, we live in a country and in a Western culture that there is more than enough for many. And so that makes us, there's a discipleship area that we need to interact with. And one of the key tools we have for that is fasting. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to dive in, okay? All right. Jesus, thank you that you love us and you care for us, that your invitation, Lord, isn't to enslavement. Your invitation is to freedom. So I pray, Jesus, that through the power of your Spirit, you would begin to help us to identify the sound of clinking chains that we've been lulled to sleep by instead of being awakened to a new way of being. God, it's so hard to live in a world that invites us to indulge, to take, to satisfy every longing, to continue to pursue endlessly to be made full. Jesus, we know that you are the filler of our souls, and so we invite your Spirit now even. Before a word is spoken, that your Spirit would stir in us and say, you long to fill us. And so as, our, as your word fills our ears, would your Spirit fill our souls? And we ask you to unleash your power that breaks chains and leads us into freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, uh, reading a couple of books uh, this last week, one of them is uh, God's Chosen Fast, which I'm loving more and more. If you haven't uh, picked it up and you're interested in fasting, um, I would encourage you. Arthur Wallace is the author. Um, it, it, it's been so life-giving to me, honestly, in, in my development and my understanding of fasting and and the practicalities of it. Uh, Not only that, but I came across a book um, called, uh, let's see, what's it called, sorry. 
Uh, it's written by Anna Lemke, uh, who is a, I believe she's a uh, addiction specialist, uh, trained medical doctor. It's called Dopamine Nation. Any of you guys heard of this? It's really, it's really intriguing. Um, I'm going to share with you a few facts where she kind of just opens up the idea where we live in a world of indulgence, and she's trying to encourage us to live a life of balance in the face of a culture and world that just says indulge, indulge, indulge. If there's hunger, take, fill, all, all those good things. Well, there's some really intriguing, uh, fascinating facts that she kind of brings to it from the perspective of addiction. She says that the, one of the most highly, um, the, the most high risk factors for addiction is availability of that which is uh, uh, t- tempting. So ease of access. Um, in the last uh, number of years, opioids have been amazingly powerful within our area and the deaths that have come from addiction and uh, it's become an epidemic Um, and so in the last you know from 1999 to 2012 um, there have been four times as many uh, prescribed opioids uh, giving access in 2012 there was actually enough prescriptions written in america for every american to have a bottle of their own opioids available to them. Um, the increase of access has given rise to this and to the, 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 the desire for people to fill those longings with things that are easily accessible is only exasperated by technological advances. And so dopamine is, is one of the key features within our minds that actually drives us to want to take that which is outside of us. It's a reward chemical, and there are different things that actually cause us to try and seek those things out. So uh, as different individuals are interacting with the current world, um, one person has this idea where he's a historian, David uh, Courtright calls the limbic capitalism. Basically, you are being part of a system of consumerism where your limbic system or your nervous system, your desire for dopamine is actually what's being preyed upon. And so people are targeting our hunger and desire, our flesh, to market to us. Uh, The author, Anne uh, Lemke, calls it a dopamine economy, where commercials are built to try and draw on our longings and hungers, different color combinations, different saturated fats, different salt levels, sugar, all of these things capitalize upon that which releases dopamine in our mind and makes us go, euphoria. Not only that, but it's even more detrimental as is in the opioid epidemic where the the technological advances in medicine over the last few hundred years have actually made the situation dire in our circumstances. Uh, If you were to look back even with cigarette production, um, in 1880, it would have taken a person uh, one minute to roll four cigarettes Um, But with the invention of the automated cigarette system, it went from four to 20,000 cigarettes being rolled per minute, okay? So the cigarette industry has gone hugely uh, out of of orbit. That leads to about 6.5 trillion cigarettes sold annually each year, which is 18 billion cigarettes consumed per day which estimated uh, is responsible for more than 6 million deaths worldwide. 
How did technological advances impact health, the cigarette market, availability? It becomes so much more proliferate. In 1805, we see that in, there was a, an advance from opium, which was becoming very damaging to people who were using it in the medical fields. They tried to, to invent something different, and they came across morphine, which is actually 10 times as, um, uh, excuse me, it is actually 10 times more potent than opium. There was another advancement in 1853 where the syringe was invented. So now you can actually directly input the morphine into the system, uh, followed by the invention of heroin, named after the uh, heroic, the German word for courageous, interestingly enough, which is five times more potent than morphine. And today, the proliferation of oxycodone, uh, hydrocodone, uh, hydromorphone, uh, excuse me, pills and injection, patches, nasal spray, it comes in so many different forms, it is no surprise the challenges that we have in our world. Fentanyl is 50 to 100 times more potent than morphine. Not only within the morphine and drug, uh, illicit drug world, but even e-cigarettes, their ability to deliver um, higher doses of nicotine to the system more quickly has even higher damages than ever expected. Alcohol use in the 90s went to 50% uh, of the Americans who were using alcohol. 15% of that was in dangerous use situations between 2002 and 2012, or 13, excuse me. Um, the, the, like, 50% of people uh, were using damaging alcohol participation. 84% of those were women. Cannabis is another area where the cannabis today is five, is five to ten times more potent than that which was in the 60s, and it can come in many different forms. Uh, I mentioned food before. One of the ma major transforming bits that is cited in her book is the idea that after World War I, they created the um, processes of like assembly line chip making and fries making, and it jacked up everybody's use. In 2024, or sorry, 2014, it was recorded that each American consumed an average of 112 pounds of potatoes per year. Not a problem, maybe. 33% of those was fresh, and the other 78.5 pounds were processed. Sugar, salt, fats, artificial flavoring, it's all there, and it's all feeding upon our hunger for dopamine. Not only this, but digital drug use uh, is on the, on the rise through online pornography, gambling, and video games, um, online shopping, feeling a little guilty for my introductionary story. Uh, all of these things, they trigger our minds. They create hunger within us. Not only that, but even the internet itself is, is built to feed compulsive overconsumption. And the suggested practices that our children and us see on, on the web actually introduces us to brokenness that we would never have thought of on our own. There are so many different variables in, in the world today. Um, but one of the most staggering thoughts that, that I came across is uh, the global death from addiction. Um, 
are, they have risen in all age groups between 1990 and 2027, or 2017, excuse me, with more than half the deaths occurring in people younger than 50. Um, it is the poor and the uneducated who are particularly vulnerable. Uh, Pr Princeton economists Anne Case and Agnes Deaton uh, had done a study that showed that middle-aged white Americans without a college education are the most susceptible and have the highest death rates. Uh, we have a figure on the screen that says that the top three leading causes of death in this group are drug overdose, alcohol-related liver disease, and suicides. The, the, the Case and Deaton have aptly called this phenomenon deaths of despair. How do we as a people who live in such a culture and economy of dopamine interact with it in a way that doesn't lead us into the enslavement of the world around us? Jesus is calling us to live in a different way, and there is a particularly unique set of circumstances that you live in. There are circumstances, you, you, you look at your kids and you're like, yeah, we didn't have it as bad as they do. I feel bad for the kids who are in school today. We all say it, but you know what? You live in the same world. And, and Jesus cares about that. He cares about what that does to our heart and our soul. He cares about the fact that many of the things that we think are innocuous are actually enslaving us. That was one of my most stunning things this last week. I was just trying to understand why is it that in the quiet, when I'm just trying to, to be silent and go without every little, everything in me was like, I, what do I need? What do I need right now? What do I need? I opened the fridge last night and my daughter says, dad, what are you looking for? And I said, satisfaction. <laughs> and she was like, facts. <laughs> Isn't it true? Let's look at what scripture has to say to us this morning. All right. So we believe that fasting is something that will help in our pursuit of holiness or our pursuit of Christ-likeness, becoming like Jesus in a way of meaningful life because of his life and influence in us. We ask the question, what is the purpose of fasting? What does it do? Well, if you remember, we looked last week, or two weeks ago, excuse me, we looked at the purposes that we fundamentally have for fasting. Firstly, is that it brings cl us closer to God. Fasting draws our heart to him and it awakens us to Jesus and it allows us to offer ourselves as an offering to him. Secondly, we are able to look and see that Jesus is calling us to a different way of life and on our own, just living after our flesh, letting our uh, fleshly desires drive and decide, that puts us in a vulnerable space. And so secondly, the fasting practice is actually a tool given to us to help uh, assist us in our pursuit of holiness as we move together. Um, I want to look firstly at uh, the, uh, the way that uh, fasting will assist us in transformation. Culture, whether you know it or not, is discipling you. What you watch, what you interact with, the books you read, the, the people you respect, and what they say, you are being formed 
by the world around you. The news channel you listen to, the perspectives that you respect, these all are inputs that are actually forming who you are. And your practices, the way that you put into action what you believe, is another way that you are becoming. And so it's important for us to realize that when we just say yes to self, we're actually becoming a certain way. We're becoming the kind of people who say yes to another cookie. We're becoming the kind of people who say yes to the world and no to Jesus. So how can we shift that and start thinking about the ways that we live our lives in a formative way? What I would like to introduce is not an original idea to me. Uh, it came to me, I believe, from um, uh, Mark Sayers in Australia, where he talks about counterformation. We are being formed by the world, therefore we must intentionally integrate things into our life to counterform us. There is a breaking down that has to take place where, where we have to begin to learn, is it, it's not good for me to be dependent upon X, Y, Z. Because as scripture says, what you obey, you are enslaved to. And I, this last week, as I said before, I didn't realize how, how enslaved I was to certain things. And it was frustrating. It was humbling, so to speak. Because as I walked into those circumstances, I was like, man, why, why, why do I want that more than I do when I don't think about it at all? That's the flesh within us. I love one of the quotes that we have um, uh, on the board. I think it's from uh, Grubbs is his last name. Um, my notes have down here, Jake, so I'm going to be more dependent upon you than typical. Yeah. When he was fasting, and this is one of his early fasting experiences, my agitation was the proof of the grip it had on me. If the thing had no power over me, why did I argue about it? You ever thought that? Like, it really doesn't matter. Why is it so hard? Well, oh. And I'm, I'm speaking to myself. Oh. There's a resistance there, and so there must be something there. That there's a hold that, that somehow I, I'm, I'm having to wrestle in a way that, that maybe uh, I wouldn't necessarily want to. Humbling the soul is the key feature that we're going to be focusing on today. The idea that, hum, that fasting has a proclivity to uh, humble who we are, to introduce to us a, a, an understanding, a re revealing of our idols in a way that us not taking something away will not show. And so you only really find how powerful something is in your life when you try and remove it. That's, that's when you really see how much something means to you. So, uh, humbling ourselves. I want to take a look quickly at uh, Ezekiel 16. Now, we don't often go to Ezekiel, but Ezekiel is a book that uh, a, pro a, pro a prophet was, was sent to Judah and Israel to speak about their sins that were going on. The prophet Ezekiel comes and says to Israel and Jerusalem, uh, you've been doing things that are so off the wall and out of line. Ezekiel 16, 49 says this, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride and excess of food and prosperous ease, but they did not ease the needy. Is that the sin that comes to your mind when I say the sin of Sodom? If you know the biblical story, you know that that's not what most people have assimilated with or associated with Sodom when we're talking about the sins that are known. 
In fact, but it's God when he speaks about the, the broken wretchedness of this city, it was actually pride and prosperous ease and the neglect of the poor and the needy. Many of you guys know we're going through a series on compassion. We need to realize that our interaction with our own needs and self and pride and the ease that we have in our life is significant to our own spiritual formation. If we are takers, not givers, as we've talked about, we are going to fall into the same category and temptation. So if we were to look at this uh, idea of what fasting is intended to help, it's going to help three things. Fasting helps us grow in holiness in three ways. It humbles the soul, number one. Number two, it it, it aids us in lament, which is an interesting thought. And third, it helps in consecrating our lives. It humbles our soul in the way that it invites us to interact with things that are different. I love that Arthur Wallace says this, behind many of our best besetting sins and personal failures, behind the many ills that infect our church, fellowships, and clog the channels of Christian service, the clash of personalities and the temperaments, the strife and, and, and division lies in the very insidious pride of the human heart. Somehow, fasting is good or helpful in bringing humility. It leaves us understanding our needs. Uh, Wallace goes on to say, and when we look at the nations of the West today where the sin of Sodom is rampant, remember what the sin is? Pride and uh, prosperous ease. We can discern that the same root of the root causes. History cannot help repeating itself. Given the same conditions, the same malaise inevitably follows. When we look at what Ezekiel is saying, it's significant that we recognize that the overindulgence, the lack of self-control, goes hand in hand with broken living. So Wallace says this, if humility is the basic ingredient of true holiness and the soil which grace is to flourish, it is needful that from time to time we should, like David, humble our souls with fasting. David in Psalm 69 talks about how he humbled himself with fasting and so going without actually helped him to cultivate a humble heart that's where we get the idea that we are intended to invite spiritual formation through fasting. The second piece is not merely that fasting uh, humbles the soul, but it exposes idols as we talked about. Um, the, practicing the way community talk about the idea of pleasure principle which is the idea that if you have a need, just gratify it. It's how children act. Give me what I want, give it to me now. Fasting helps us to cultivate a muscle that helps us to restrain that. In Proverbs 25, 28, we read that a man without uh, self-control is like a city um, broken into and left without walls. Romans 7, 15, Read with me again. For I do not understand my own action. For I do not do what I want, 
but I do the very thing that I hate. There is a humbling that comes. So I find it a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Fasting, secondly, aids in lament. Um, I was having a great conversation with Greg the other day over coffee, and we were just talking about the, the tendency to try and alleviate sorrow with substance or chemical or food. You choose it. It's, it's there. And it just made me wonder, like, is addiction so high because we don't know how to lament? Like, we don't know how to be sad with our circumstances, with our own failings, with the oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death, that instead of sitting in that, we turn on the TV, or we go to another episode, or we flip through another thing, or whatever it may be. Do we know how to lament? How to sit in the sorrow when we've come up short, or when we've gone, you know what? Man, I, I need something outside of myself. Who will rescue me? I cannot rescue myself. And that's the power of the gospel, is that we know. We come to the end of ourselves. We, in and of ourselves, as flesh beings, apart from the Spirit of God, coming and making us alive, we have no power to overcome the flesh. We're just simply uh, living according to our nature. We're doing what we were intended to do by nature, so to speak. And so for us to sit in that and recognize that God actually has a greater desire for our life is, is fascinating. Ezekiel 9.9, earlier on in the book, is looking into the nation of Israel and he's seeing the, the ways that they've uh, not honored him and have been full of injustice. And Ezekiel 9.9 says this, And he said to me, The guilt of the house of Israel and Judah has ex is exceedingly great. The land is full of blood and the city full of injustice. And as a result of these circumstances... In this vision, this doesn't actually happen, but this is a vision that comes to Ezekiel. It said, The Lord said to me, Pass through the city and through Jerusalem and put a mark on the foreheads of the men who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. Now let's take a second here. The grace of Jesus allows us, he, it, is, it is healthy and good and right for us to lament our own personal sin. To not just dismiss it and go, it doesn't matter, it doesn't, no, it matters, it grieves the heart of God and it should grieve our heart when we fall short, when we continue to, to struggle. But Jesus never intended us for, to stay in the state of broken relationship with him. And the death of Jesus is what allows us always to stand in his presence and to enjoy his gracious embrace. The, the very fact that God never intended you to live eternally apart from him is evidenced at the very beginning of the Bible and many times beyond when Adam and Eve fell out of relationship with God because of their sin and he blocked their way to the tree of eternal life because he didn't want them to be broken and separate from him forever. It was mercy. God doesn't want us to live that way forever as individuals, okay? But he does invite us to sit and hold the weight of corporate sin, corporate brokenness. 
systemic injustices that take place around us, things that that we can't solve in and of ourselves, nor are we individually liable for, but we look around and we go like, man, the church is a mess. Man, our nation is broken. Man, the economy of this world is upside down. Human slavery, all the evil that takes place. God seems to be looking and attentive for people who, according to this, who sigh and groan over all the abominations that are committed in it. Yes, we have a limitation to our ability to engage the pain of the world around us, but we do not have the invitation to close our eyes and appease ourselves and shut it off. We have to bring it to Jesus. We have to hold the pains of the world in our hands with his strength in his presence. The toxicity of holding the pain of others where you have no power to change circumstances is only toxic when you are doing it in isolation. It is life-giving when you do it in the presence of God who can actually change circumstances. That's what Lent is about. It's about mourning our own participation in the darkness in the world, and it's mourning the the darkness in the world altogether that that caused Christ to come and die in our place. We, We reflect upon the hardship of those around us because why? We are cultivating hearts that do not want to become comfortable with brokenness, darkness, and evil. I recognize that's that's challenging. And so it causes us when we instead of numbing ourselves say I'm going to fast. I'm going to I'm going to not distract myself. I'm going to not just shut it off. I'm going to not dip out. I'm going to sit in this. And I'm going to become aware of the reality of things. I'm going to adjust the way I view the situation. Not to, I don't want to narrow my vision and just self-protect. Instead, I want to align the way that God sees this situation. I want his vision to be my vision. And so in that place of fasting where you create this area of empty hunger and you don't allow the world to fill it, but instead you sit with God and you allow his heart and your heart to hold the pain and grief, it's actually a huge part of your sanctification. Sanctification is about us becoming holy, more like Jesus. And so for us to become more like him, it's important for us to hold the weight of what breaks his heart so that we begin to see the, the, the negativity of the things that we think may be innocuous because we can close our eyes to them, but rather they are poisonous to human flourishing. So... Uh, uh, the other section, the other, pa- other verse there is this. Uh, pass through the city, th- uh, through Jerusalem, and put a mark on the foreheads of every person who sigh and groan over the abominations committed in it. Verse 5, and to the others, he said in, in my hearing, pass through the city after him and strike. Your eyes shall spare none, and you shall show no pity. God As Arthur Wallace says, heaven marks the men who feel with God for the sins that break his heart and turn away his face from us. 
The same abominations are still being committed in the sanctuary and in the city. If today God put a mark on those who sigh and groan because of this, and then sent forth his executioner to destroy all but those with the mark, would we escape? I mean, no condemnation by that, just like, are we holding the weight in a way that God would have us hold the weight? Are we comfortable mourning with God? Jesus himself in the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed are those who mourn. So is mourning part of the toolbox that you have in your discipleship? Do you have a space where you allow yourself to mourn, even though it's uncomfortable? I would say that fasting is one of those places that we can cultivate a a desire and an ability to mourn over the personal sin. Wallace says this, mourning over personal sin and failure is an indispensable stage in the process of sanctification and it's a facilitation of, by fasting, excuse me. Three, consecration of our lives. Now, consecration is similar to the idea of holiness being set apart. Uh, when you wanted to consecrate something, it's like, I give myself to this. I'm going to be about this. It's another word for sanctification. You are being set apart for a holy task. That's why this was one of my first tattoos, sanctified. Okay, God, when you called me to ministry, I am set apart, not for my own agenda, but for your agenda. Therefore, let everything that I do be on your behalf. And so I intentionally have that as a reminder to myself because it's hard. But fasting can actually do this. Uh, There is a natural sequence as we move from self-humbling to mourning of repentance and contrition. Romans 13, 14 says this, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. There is an active participation that we engage in as followers of Jesus. Yes, his death has paid the price, but then he invites us into put on the way of Jesus, put on his righteousness. I'm going to claim that I'm his and I'm going to walk in his ways. But then there's this secondary thing that we would say, Fasting would fit into here, where we make no provision for the flesh. And this is historically part of the practice of honoring the Lord. Psalm 35, David says this, I afflicted myself with fasting. I prayed with head bowed and my che- bowed down on my chest. Paul says this very same thing as he wrestles with his own flesh. He says, uh, 1 Corinthians 9 to 27, but I discipline my body. I keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. There is a a self-mastery that we're intended to, to have as followers of Jesus. Instead of being mastered by the flesh, we want to master our own lives as we live beyond our natural proclivities. As we draw to a close to remind us, fasting helps us grow in holiness. It humbles the soul It aids us in lament, and it supports us consecrating our life to God. One last quote from uh, Arthur Wallace. He would say that the purpose of fasting is threefold. If you have been brought low through personal defeat, 
if there is a call on your soul to deeper purifying, to renewed consecration, if there is the challenge of some new task for which you feel ill-equipped, then it is time for you to inquire of God whether he would not have you separate yourself unto him in fasting. Once again, fasting is not commanded in Scripture. It is something that Jesus modeled in his life, starting with going out into the desert before he began his ministry, being tested in the flesh, saying, I, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that passes through the mouth of God. There is something about limiting self, self-imposed limitations that actually brings strength to us. To tell your, your, your hungers and your longings no in order to tell Jesus yes, it fuels the fire of your strength in the Spirit. And so this is an area where it's an invitation to you. An invitation in, in, uh, in any of those three ways of trying to grow stronger in walking after the Lord and not after the flesh. Um, if you are someone who's moving into a season where you're, you're coming up against a long-term sin that's been there, fasting is a huge help. Where you're like, I would rather have breakthrough here than eat this thing or do this thing. If you're, if you're launching into a season where you don't have clarity on what you're supposed to be doing, fasting is an appropriate thing for you to consider doing, of going, okay, God, I want to hear your voice more than I want to be comfortable. I'm going to create space where, where your voice can be heard because in the midst of me indulging self all the time, I just can't hear your voice. And so it can be a huge tool, friends. It can be a huge tool, but as I have found, I know it is challenging. Amen? It's hard. You're, you're picking a fight with the flesh, I think John Mark said. And it feels like that. Amen? Uh, one pastoral word uh, just in, in closing before we move to communion, because it's, it's essential um, to underline the, the idea that Jesus has set us free from the law. That Jesus' pursuit of you is an invitation to life. And uh, Paul in Galatians says, for freedom you've been set free, therefore do not submit yourself again to the law. I will guard the gospel of freedom and truth and peace. And so my encouragement to us is one nuance that I, I want to point out in the way that I, I think about fasting is, um, yes, historically fasting has been food-oriented. Um, however, with the current circumstances, Pastor John and I have been talking about this quite a bit, um, we may even see that um, a digital life is, is as central to or more central to many of you than food that you eat. Um, just being straight, this is our generation's cigarettes. <laughs> we don't know how bad the cancer is going to be yet, but we're on it way more than we should be. We know that, right? I, I just want to put that before us. 
that fasting digital input or other alternatives to food is 100% fasting, okay? And I just want to encourage you that there, is, there isn't a hierarchy. The key and most important concept of fasting is it is voluntary, self-appointed, self-restriction to create need for Jesus to fill. That's it. So what is it in our life, in your life, that you would say, okay, not because I have to, not because he made a point of it, what would it be that you would self-impose on yourself? Nobody to judge, but it's a space where you're like, God, I'm going to give you this place and I'm just going to ask you to dump your love in there. And it's hard. Let's be honest, my space is like here. It's like this. You good shot, Jesus? <laughs> it's, I'm, I'm new at this, you know? Some people are great at fasting. I'm still, still getting there. But how faithful is Jesus that when we seek him, even by creating openness and saying, Jesus, would you just show up here instead of this thing? We're told that when we seek him, he seeks us. He rushes in. And so let that purity of heart guide you as you invite the Lord to fill a need that maybe you've been counting on something in your life to fill and allow that to change you into his image little by little, day by day. Amen? Amen. Uh, let's, uh, let's bow our heads. Thank you, church, for being gracious to me. Very stumbly this morning, not sure why. Um, but the word was taught. And G Jesus is here. And so I just want to encourage you to try and just set aside distractions right now. Bow your heads. Just take some time with the Lord. That's the only thing that matters this morning is what would God say to me or what has he said to me this morning? What invitation is there? Lord, you know my heart, and I've had to confess to you pride this week. Pride of feeling entitled, Jesus, to comfort, feeling entitled to freedom, feeling entitled to do. I'm sorry. Lord, you know that I've had to confess to you this week just my longing for ease, for rest. Lord, you know that many of us are in this place, just like me, who at times faithfulness to you just is hard, God. And it's, it can be exhausting, Lord, to continue to fight the flesh back and forth. But deep in our hearts, Lord, we know that it matters 
we know that when we say yes to you, you are there ready to just unleash your love and kindness that's been there all along. We just turn to look at you. So God, I just pray that you would break the chains of enslavement, Lord God, to things. Lord, I pray that we'd be brave to envision a, a life that is different than what our flesh tells us is right. Just pray that your spirit would be writing some of our desires today. Instead of being found in things of these world, Lord God, and others, we just pray that we would seek you to fill us. So I pray, Jesus, that even now you'd just be whispering to our hearts, not in condemnation, that is not of you, but in invitation. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.